Friends, today we're going to wrap up our series on Through the Wilderness, um, looking at Exodus and Joshua. And I'd like to uh, share with you from Joshua 5 today. So let me read to you, uh, starting at verse 1 of chapter 5. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how God had stopped the Jordan River before the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts sank. The courage drained out of them just thinking about the people of Israel. At that time, God said to Joshua, make stone knives and circumcise the people of Israel a second time. So Joshua made stone knives and circumcised the people of Israel at Foreskin's Hill. This is why Joshua conducted the circumcision. All the males who left Egypt, the soldiers, had died in the wilderness on the journey out of Egypt. All the people who had come out of Egypt, of course, had been circumcised. But all those born in the wilderness along the way since leaving Egypt had not been. The fact is that the people of Israel had walked through that wilderness for 40 years until the entire nation died out. All the men of military age who'd come out of Egypt but had disobeyed the call of God. God vowed that these would never lay their eyes on the land God had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. But their children had replaced them. These are the ones Joshua circumcised. They had never been circumcised. No one had circumcised them along the way. When they had completed the circumcising of the whole nation, they stayed where they were in the camp until they were healed. God said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's why the place is called Gilgal. It's still called that. The people of Israel continued to camp at the Gilgal. They celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the plains of Jericho. Right away, the day after the Passover, they started eating the produce of that country, unraised bread and roasted grain, and then no more manna. The manna stopped. As soon as they started eating food grown in the land, there was no more manna for the people of Israel. That year, they ate from the crops of Canaan. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father God, as we come to your word, would you give us fresh eyes uh, to see into our hearts and our world, Father, that we might know uh, what it is that you want us to do. As we hear your word, help us to be those who put it into practice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, there's an important framework in Exodus and Joshua for moving through transition, both individually and corporately. Firstly, an ending at the Red Sea, where the past was drowned. And this is so important. We must make a clean break with the past if we're to journey into God's future. And, and there had been a time of transition for 40 years in the wilderness before people were emotionally and spiritually ready to enter the land of God's promise. The desert, of course, was a place of encounter with God and of transformation. 
was also a time of great creativity where new values were forged for a new nation. More than just marking time, the wilderness was a time of preparation and change for this moment of new beginning. There was for sure still a lot of work to be done. They hadn't completely arrived, but much of that in-betweenness of being neither in Egypt or in Canaan was behind them. And I think that is becoming more true for us as a church. It's been my joy to meet with many of you in connect groups and some who are not in connect groups and, and see how we are processing all we've experienced over these last months. And on the whole, there are some great signs of hope and encouragement. We haven't yet arrived. Uh, there are some who are catching up and others who are less engaged. There is still more to do, but we are on the way, thanks to God. Well, having crossed the swollen, flooding Jordan in chapters 3 to 4 of Joshua, chapter 5 is a chance to look back on their journey to this point and look forward to all that was still to be accomplished. And I believe there are some important lessons for us in this passage today. The first is to reflect on God's miracle. Verse 1, when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the sea coast heard how God had stopped the Jordan River before the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts sank. The courage drained out of them, just thinking about the people of Israel. Well, look, friends, I trust that if we were physically meeting together today and I had an open microphone and asked people to share about a miracle that God had done in their lives, that we would be here for some hours. And we would hear stories of lives turned around to Christ, of people healed of illness, of guidance in amazing ways, of strength in time of crisis, of provision in want, of victory over sin and much more. And I think the one common thing in these experiences is that people stop, pause, reflect and say something like, wow, God is amazing. Only God could do that. And that holy awe that we have glimpsed the face of God and we worship. And we turn to each other and say, did you see that? We stepped into the fast flowing Jordan and it stopped. I'm, I'm pinching myself. I can hardly believe it. How does that work? Did that really happen? Wow. And the words of scripture, the promise to Joshua came echoing back. Joshua 1.3. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Hey, God is true to his promises. He can really be trusted. And having gone through the river, they're reminded of the Red Sea event that their parents told them about over and over and over again, how God rescued them from slavery, that God rules over even the most powerful nations and in his grace delivers his people. Not automatically, not immediately, but nevertheless surely with his power that comes to us along the way. And when you take a moment to reflect on the enormity of this miracle, log on to Nations Book and hear what the surrounding nations are saying, that they thought they were safe by virtue of the raging Jordan. But it dried up. What sort of God is like that? Certainly not our gods. Who can stop Israel? And I love the way the message puts verse 1. Their hearts sank. 
the courage drained out of them just thinking about the people of Israel and the living Bible their courage melted away completely and they were paralyzed with fear well if if the English batsmen think that facing Pat Cummins sending down 150 kilometer an hour deliveries into their ribs was a fear inducing experience oh some of them are pulled out of the ashes already we can hardly imagine what it would be like for a country that had its military strategy worked out to learn that a large army was on their way with a secret weapon, God. Panic set into the surrounding nations. You can imagine a, a, a few friend requests coming Israel's way. And it's wise for Israel to remember at this point that it has nothing to do with the cleverness of their military strategy although at times that may be helpful, but crossing the churning Jordan is a gracious gift of God. They learn again that God can be trusted in times of transition and uncertainty, and all they can do is reflect in awe and wonder on God's miracle and worship him. The second thing they need to do is to remember where they missed God's way. Verse 4. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and those, these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now, I'm sure these people had grown tired of hearing their parents drone on and on about how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And you can imagine the kids' eyes glazing over and uh, them just thinking, yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before. The glory days, yeah, we get it. But if their parents actually spoke from the grave, it may go like this. No, no, you, you don't understand. We experienced an amazing miracle going through the Red Sea, just like you've done. But we blew it. We were fools. We were faithless and disobedient. And because we were afraid of the people of the land, because we thought our God was too small and weak, we wandered through the desert for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years of misery and confusion. And we died here in the desert, never seeing the land of promise because we did not obey our God. Don't do the same thing as us. Don't miss God's way. Remember what happened to us. Look back on those 40 years and remember that we missed God's way and God's best. And don't you dare do the same. Well, one of the things I do is to help churches come to terms with their history and to ask that question, is there any point 
where we have missed God's way and to seek to address that. Uh, sometimes there needs to be an apology to people who've been hurt. Sometimes repentance for corporate sin. Sometimes loving confrontation of difficult behaviour. Sometimes reconciliation of strained relationships. It isn't rocket science, but it is hard to do. People like to quickly move on and not remember where they've missed God's way. But they can't go forward until they do. Because those who don't learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat its mistakes. And so as we stand with Israel on the other side of the Jordan, looking back where we have been, God invites us to search our lives individually and as a church together to remember if there's any point where we've missed God's way and to respond. Thirdly, we need to renew our loyalty and obedience to God. Verse 2, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Well, I'm imagining conversation at this point that goes something like this. Joshua says, are you serious about following and obeying God? And the people say, yes, we are. And Joshua says, really, really serious? And people say, yes, we are really, really serious about obeying God. In fact, we would do anything that he asked. And Joshua says, okay, line up here for circumcision. We need to show that we're God's people. And this is the sign of the agreement between us and God. Oh, and I have some bad news. We haven't quite made it into the Iron Age yet. So we'll be using flint knives. I said, line up here for circumcision. Well, the people were being asked, well, the males anyway, to pay a price for demonstrating their loyalty and promise of obedience to God. And, and circumcision marked them as belonging to God and not to the culture and gods of their environment. And the ritual, of course, wasn't enough in itself. It demanded more. It demanded a circumcised heart, um, as it tells us in Deuteronomy 10 and Jeremiah 9. Joshua, of course, hadn't initiated circumcision in Israel. He was only restoring Israel back to their previous state, back to Egypt, back to Abraham. And flowing from that previous point of remembering where we've missed God's way, this passage describes Israel's atonement for a whole generation's neglect. Uh, neglect caused in part, at least, by the sins of the previous generation. The fathers went out circumcised, identified as people of God, experiencing the saving act of God. But going out of Egypt, they went out from God. Years of disobedience and didn't pass that on to the next generation. And behind this, this focus on circumcision, Joshua 5 reminds us that the core of all we do is our loyalty and our obedience to God. So much so that even though the people are now ready to take the land, they deliberately take the time to reaffirm their promises to God. Indeed, un until they do this, they cannot fulfill their identity, their calling. They cannot take the land. And it's a great example for us to follow. But let's get down to some specifics. 
when's the last time that you actually reaffirmed your decision to follow Christ? Or maybe even in the words that you used at your baptism. Is it your intention to follow Christ as your Lord, your Master, all the days of your life and serve him in the church and world? Or something along those lines. How are your times of connection with God going? A Bible reading and prayer core spiritual practices for you? If not, what will you do? And who will you be accountable to? Again, we don't stop here as if this is all there is to the Christian life, but we do start here and we never get beyond it. Dag Hammarskjöld was the Kofi Annan of his day, the Secretary General of the UN, and he penned these remarkable words. God does not die on the day when we cease to believe in a personal deity, but we die on the day when our lives cease to be illuminated by the steady radiance renewed daily of a wonder, the source of which is beyond all reason. And the wonder for Israel is not that they walked across the Jordan, but that they are gods. This new generation receives new life. And we need to ask whether being God's child is a wonder that renews us and that we reconnect with daily. So let's do that. Let's renew our loyalty and obedience to God. Fourth, we need to reaffirm our calling and identity. Verse 8, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. The Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. I said last week, there's a a great line in Joshua 3 verse 4, since you've never traveled this way before, uh, speaking about a new chapter, a new adventure, a new land with God as the guide. But it's also old because they were recapturing their true identity and calling in God from the reproach of being slaves in Egypt, less than a real nation. It was time to hold their heads up, to remember that they are God's freed nation and to celebrate the Passover together. And so they get spiritually ready for what comes next. It it may be the land of God's promise that they're entering, but it's enemy-occupied territory and they're preparing for battle against the idols of the land and those who follow them. We need to make a conscious surrender of our lives and reaffirm our calling and our our identity that we are set apart for God's purposes in the world. That's our identity. That's what God is calling us to, to engage in ministry within and especially beyond the church and to recommit to mission, sharing the gospel, being involved in acts of mercy, advancing justice. And lastly, 
reside in the land. Verse 11, the day after the Passover, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Verses 10 to 12 are in the context of the whole saving history of Israel. And in a real way, this is the, the, the climax to the entire Exodus wilderness narrative. The people who celebrated Passover in Egypt prior to experiencing the Exodus celebrate Passover again prior to taking control of the new land that God is calling them into. And the fertility of that land. Wars of conquest may lie ahead, but the produce of the land lies in the hands of those who celebrate Passover. And it's like a bookend at the other end. Passover before they leave and Passover as they arrive in the new land. And they move from the nomadic way of life that they've been on, dependent on manna, to the actual fulfilment of the promise of a land of abundance, flowing with milk and honey to sustain them. And, and their transition, their wanderings are over. God has been faithful and he, continued, he can continue to be trusted into their future. It's like God is saying to each of us, you just keep walking and you trust me. You take one step of faith after the next and after the next, and I will come through. It's important for us to remember that they hadn't arrived. There was still more to be done in the land that they were going to stake. But here is the challenge for us today. Where do we need to claim new territory in our own lives and in the life of our church? What do we need to do to inherit the future God has for us? But before we move too quickly to do that, there's a very deliberate pause by Israel on the west side of the Jordan that we will do well to follow. And that break allows them and us to reflect on God's miracle. To remember where we've missed God's way in the wilderness. To renew our loyalty and obedience to God. To reaffirm our calling and our identity as God's people set apart for his ministry and mission. And to reside in the land. While one phase of their transition is complete, there's still more work to do in taking the land for God. Friends, will you pray with me? God, what an amazing journey you took the children of Israel on. And you led them through to the promised land. Father, increase our trust and faith. And as you lead us, would we follow? As you guide us, would we follow? And if there are things that we need to do, in response to, to what we've heard today. Help us to do those. 
whether it's new attitudes, new commitments, reconnecting in relationships, whatever it is. Father God, we pray that you would help us to follow through and to do that. We thank you that you go with us and that we can trust you. We thank you that you're a good God. And we thank you that you love us. Give us responsive and open hearts, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for being a part of our service today. God bless you as you go into your week. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.